Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm Marie Stella, your host from Melbourne, Australia. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. Addressing infidelity in romantic relationships is always a daunting task. It's not one size fits all. Sometimes it's a one-off mistake and other times it's a pattern. And on top of that, unpleasant emotions like resentment and jealousy naturally arise in such situations. So today we are getting some expert advice on how to navigate these tough conversations and decisions from a very experienced psychologist, Dr. Fran Davies. She works primarily with individuals couples and families. Hi, Fran. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How are you going? I'm doing well. How are you, Murray? Fine, thank you. So tell us a bit about your background and how you got into this. Let's see. Um, my background, I um, I jokingly tell the couples that I work with that I started being a couples therapist when I was about two and a half. Two and years a half old. years yeah. old? Yes, I was uh, <laughs> probably more attuned than I should have been to conflicts between my parents mm-hmm. and and other issues in my family. So I was a, a psycho. I've been a psychologist for a long time. I officially became a psychologist in my late twenties and mm-hmm. um, started working. Uh, first with individuals, but then got training in uh, couples and family therapy. And then um, actually, as I've gotten older, it's been a bigger part of my practice. And then specifically, these kind of marital issues that we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to you on the part of being a therapist to your parents. Um, But how do you feel about that? Hmm. Um, in hindsight, I don't think it is the best. Uh, it's it's not the best policy. I certainly don't cut uh, coach the couples that I work with. And when I work with families, I really do try to protect children more mm-hmm. from the uh, marital challenges. So perhaps that was something that I learned because of what I experienced. Yeah, that's a great lesson to learn. And I think as children, it's hard to conceive what's going on up oh, sorry perceive what's going on um so as adults we definitely try and be more protective of the children um we're looking after so that's great to hear now before we get started we like to get to know you better as well so this is have you met dr friend davis i really like to know what your favorite book is if you have one I, you know, I thought about it in the context of uh, this topic and thought I would recommend the book um, Family Happiness by Lori Colwin. What is it about? It actually is a book about a woman who is having um, an extramarital affair and she all her life has been done everything right and been perfect. 
and then her life is upended and she has to make a decision about a very which way she's going to go. Yeah, that's a very interesting story because a lot of the time when we think of infidelity or having an affair, we think of the person that would most likely have, like, most likely do it. And to think about how a person who, prop, like, is so perfect that, you know, you wouldn't think they would commit infidelity and ha- and seeing them go through it and what their thought process is like would be very interesting. Um, what about outside the context of this recording? What would your favorite book be? Gosh, it's hard to pick a favorite book. Um, I'll have to think about that one. We can come back to that, actually. Yeah, I love too many books. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite film? Um, I, I, I thought about... Uh, recommendation that I wanted to make and I don't want to I love films and I wanted to recommend um a mini series which ooh like a long film yeah I don't we don't mind that okay so a small light I think it's on Hulu here mm-hmm. uh and what, I can tell you a little bit about it yes please do it um focuses on the Dutch resistance movement during World War II with a focus on um, Meep and Jan Gies, who mm-hmm. um, Meep was primarily uh, responsible for trying to protect uh, the Anne Frank family. She worked for Otto Frank, and it's it's really wonderful. And I, I traveled in Amsterdam this summer, so I um, wanted to watch it before I went, and I did go to the Anne Frank house, and they recommended it there, and it's it's really quite wonderful. That sounds fantastic. I've always wanted to visit Amsterdam and I heard the tulip fields are spectacular as well. Um, do you listen to any podcasts? I do. Um, I really recently enjoyed listening to the Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Do you know uh, who she what is? is it? No. It's uh, wiser than me. She was... Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you get Seinfeld? Do you know Seinfeld? I did watch a couple episodes, but I'm afraid I was born way too late for it. Okay. <laughs> well, she was Elaine on Seinfeld. And mm-hmm. then she did Veep. She did a lot of other shows. She's a comedian mm-hmm. um, and mostly a sitcom actress. But she uh, did a, um, a podcast interviewing famous women who are older than she is, like Jane Fonda and and to learn and she asked them questions about you know what regrets do they have what would they do differently what are they proudest of and that's really interesting yeah I always love um watching or reading any media that has something to do with women talking to women or women interacting with women and supporting each other it's always very heartwarming uh then you might like yeah I think I would do you have a famous role model um, I would go with Margaret Atwood. She's the author of um, probably most famously Handmaid's Tale. So she's why also... specifically do you look up to her? I love her writing. Those are some of my favorite books. I really do love Margaret Atwood books. And um, I think she... I, without veering into politics, unfortunately, she was rather uh, prescient in seeing things, and um, she engages you in sort of a cautionary tale of how things can go. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing better than diving deep into just some really great storytelling. Um, I know that. So what's the last course you've completed? I actually just took a class. You're talking about something that I studied. Sure, we can go with that, yes. Yeah, I actually just did a summer uh, class that was really outside of my normal zone, and it was fascinating and wonderful. It was a uh, psychoanalytically oriented uh, presenter. His name is Salman Akhtar, and he was talking about lifespan development and it was fascinating. So what's the biggest takeaway you got from that course? Huh. You know, it actually caused me to, um, it was reinvigorating to the work that I do to bring, um, I mean, he's not strictly Freudian, but a psychoanalytic perspective to uh, listening to my clients and even I may infuse some of the things we talk about today with it because, um, while I don't necessarily pathologize all people who are um, perhaps unfaithful in their relationships, I think it is interesting to think about what people experienced in their family of origin and how that informs how they behave as adults. That's really interesting. Uh, I do love a good invigorating experience like the next person. Like I, I myself, ha- I went through something that the start of this year that was very spiritually invigorating and it just changed my perspective on so many things. Uh, so I can relate to you there. Um, oh, now you're going gonna, gonna to tell us what it is, Marie? Uh, <laughs> no, I just like met a stranger who just complimented my work and art so much more than anyone else ever had and afterwards I started thinking of myself like oh I guess some of my art could relate to some people and it's worth putting out there even if um, I might not have like a huge audience at the moment Um, some people do see value in it and so yeah it's worth creating it still Um, yeah (laughs) <laughs> that happened for you. Thank you. Uh, you're being a really good therapist right now, friend. <laughs> I'm sitting in my therapy office being a good therapist. So, yeah. um, Now we'll move on to the interview. First okay. question that we like to ask all our guests, because it can be quite a broad question or term. What is a relationship to you? How would you describe a relationship? You know that when I read through your questions, I really thought, does that doesn't that go without saying? Um, I mean, mostly when we think about this topic of infidelity, you're thinking about intimate partnerships. Um, I also do think there are um, emotional injuries that can happen in other type of relationships, but I guess it's and. You know, because I also do work with people who are polyamorous. So some relationships are not just two people, but generally we think of two people and um, the connection between them comprising their relationship. Yeah, that's a good, short, sweet answer. And I think it's very to the point. Uh, But in your opinion, does a relationship uh, 
still mean the same thing now as it did, let's say, 10 years ago? You know, it seems to me, um, and uh, there are some researchers who've looked at the history of marriage, that it only seems to become more and more important to people over time. You know, historically, I think there were obviously arranged marriages or, or duty marriages or and people didn't live as long. And I think there's a lot more um, hope and expectation and burden put on intimate relationships to right. fulfill a lot of our needs. Right. Like, for example, now people might not be getting married as much, but they that's because the marriage means more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't isn't. know. It, I, I, I don't know what uh, the statistics are in Australia for people uh, getting married versus cohabitating. What are they like where you are? I don't have the data per se. Um, it, I, I, I've been going to a lot of weddings. I can tell you that. <laughs> Certainly there's been a lot of um, post-COVID pent up weddings. People are still getting married. Um, certainly people cohabitate and don't feel a need to get married. Um, I have a daughter who lives in Europe and it's a lot more common for people to not feel the need to have the government endorsement of the relationship yeah. to feel commitment in that way. But yeah, I think, yeah, it's pretty much like a bit of a mix. I do have many friends who want to get married and I also have many friends who don't and don't see a need to get married and huh. just never intend to get married so but I think but do they do they still hope to have um an intimate partnership oh yeah for sure I think yeah. a lot of people that I know still hope for that but I do think that it is pretty common here um at least in my circles to not really have a plan for this intimacy and just find someone that you're comfortable with and potentially it's not something that's exclusive yeah uh but that's just my circles and that's just my experience because I think other people probably who run in other circles probably have different experiences as well so I'm not speaking for everyone uh so how would you define infidelity? Well, again, if, if we think about intimate partnerships, I, I think there can be infidelity in other kinds of relationships because generally speaking, people hold some set of expectations for the other person in the relationship. Right. And um, in an intimate partnership, unless couples have negotiated what's now being called consensual non-monogamy or open relationships. Or There's a, ethical non-monogamy. Yeah, um, yeah, ethical. Or I think it's consensual non-monogamy yeah. is one of the ways it's called here. Like we agree that um, it's okay to be with other people. 
Yeah, I believe he had ENM, uh, ethical non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. So, what does infidelity look like? Like, what's an example of it in a non-romantic relationship versus a romantic relationship? I mean, it wouldn't. We probably wouldn't use the term infidelity, but I could think of. Um, family relationships where there was some understanding. I see it around, I don't know whether I'd call it an infidelity. I would call it a, an attachment breach. You know, I see it in situations with, um, you know, weddings and, and um, you know, you didn't invite me to the wedding. And I'm right. hurt. I yeah. thought our relationship was this way. You didn't invite me to your summer house, your vacation. You excluded me from something. I thought our relationship was one way and you behaved in another way. Right. Yeah. You didn't invite me to your birthday party. I don't do that kind of yeah, thing. Something like it's it's almost like um, expectations. Yes. Yeah. It's a violation of the expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so how does infidelity affect relationships? What kind of impact would it make on, let's say, the daily lives of a couple? Uh, you know, I when I saw that question, I thought it's it um, it really is important to go back and say that when an infidelity happens when a when a breach happens in a relationship and you may be surprised to know this that um it's kind of like it's a in basketball a jump ball and you have no idea which way it's going to go it's possible that the person who has betrayed in the partnership um is desperate to repair it happens that the person who's betrayed in the partnership either doesn't want to repair, wants to leave the relationship, or um, wants to carry on as if Nothing it wasn't happens. a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, you're making too much of this or something like that. It's possible that the person who was hurt is done with the relationship. It's possible that the person who was hurt is desperate to uh, repair the relationship, or and it's possible that the person who is hurt is willing to try to sweep things under the rug because they're so desperate for the relationship that they can't engage in the repair. I mean, of of all those scenarios, I endeavor, when possible, to see if it's possible to um, have the relationship grow stronger because of what can be learned and what can be gained from and repairing an infidelity. What is needed for that to be possible? Well, first of all, you have to ascertain that both people want that. And as right. I said, that is not a given. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you so, ever get uh, situations where one, 
like both couples say that they agree to it. However, one of them might not necessarily actually want it and they're just saying it because they think they do but in reality it doesn't work out because they really don't is that a thing that happens oh i've definitely seen that where um there's some understanding i'm doing air quotes yeah that there is some openness in the relationship but mm -hmm. then the connection that's formed outside of the initial partnership somehow threatens the initial partnership. Yeah. And then, then you've got a situation where the person who stepped out said, I thought that was okay. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I've, I've worked with a couple where that was the case. They thought they were um, separating and that it was okay to one partner thought it was okay in the separation to see other people and the other right, partner. Right, like, like, a, like a friend's Rachel and Ross situation. Uh, yes, I thought we were on a break. Yeah, <laughs> I thought we were on a break, but I, I mean. We were on a break, exactly. It totally, oh, okay, I, guess well, that, like, I guess that made it across. Uh, well, like, not to, not to digress from the topic, but what's your stance on that? <laughs> what, what? What was your, what's your stance on that on Ross and Rachel? Oh gosh, I can't even remember. I just remember <laughs> I thought we were on a break. I can't even remember who cheated on who. Well, essentially, um, Ross thought that Rachel was off with another guy when she wasn't, and so Rachel and Ross decided to go on a break for a night or something like that and then Rachel felt awful because they had this whole argument and she didn't mean what she said uh and during that night when they were on a break not a breakup on a break um Ross decides to go and get drunk and slept with someone else and when Rachel showed up at his apartment um apologizing for the fight and asking if they could get back together Ross just hides the girl that he just had slept with and said okay let's get back together and that's how that happened and then when Rachel found out obviously she was livid and they were like no more we are now broken up and that's yeah, right that's, that's how it happened coming back to me yeah, yeah, and it and it was like a a whole like running argument. Yes, it it were was they... a it was an arc. It was a plot yeah. arc in yeah. trans for a while. Were they or were they not on a break? Which I think is besides the question. I think that's not the question that should be asked. I think the question that should be asked is: Did Ross cheat? Because they were on a break. That that's that's definitely what happened that's what they well I, I would be willing to engage in discussing my opinions about Ross and Rachel in that because if they came to me as a couple yeah um you know the whole and it, obviously it's a trope that I know like we were on a break mm -hmm. um doesn't address that Rachel felt hurt right she had a different understanding and arguing with her about the technicalities. I mean, it's fair to say I 
if I'm Ross, I really thought that that meant something. And I took it in a direction that in hindsight, I really wish I hadn't. And um, I can understand how incredibly hurtful that is to you. And I love you. And I really want to work. You know, I see you as my life partner. And I really want to work this out because you mean everything to me. I've always loved you. I mean, there's, and it's not just a one time thing. There are ways to repair injuries. Yeah. And you see, I feel like arguing people... about, you know, it wasn't really bad because I had a different understanding is never going to repair an injury. Yeah. Right? You see, I feel like a lot of people would have been way less mad at Ross if he had just said that. Um, so yeah, the title of this recording is no long. It's 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 now what Ross should have said to Rachel <laughs> to win her back. <laughs> That's now the yes, topic. If they'd come to me, I could have repaired their relationship. But don't they end up together at the end? I can't even remember. Don't they have a kid? They do end up together. Rachel gets on board the plane. Wait, no, Ross. Wait, I actually don't remember what happened. I remember is- that Chandler and. Um, What's her name? Courtney Cox. What's her name? Uh, Monica. Monica. They're they're yeah. together. Yeah, they're they together. are together. Yeah. They, yeah. Um, that's a great couple. I one of my favorite couples. Um, on screen couples ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just have to um put it out there and like put a disclaimer because that I know I'm close to some off screen couples in my personal life and they might watch this and go, hey, how dare you? I thought I was a favorite couple. Oh, or okay, I, okay. Yeah, that's just... Yes, just qualifying that we're talking yes, about fictional... Yes. Fictional couple. <laughs> um, so, apart from what Ross and Rachel went through, what are some emotional challenges that couples might face when trying to go ahead with um, moving on from infidelity? Well... Yeah, I mean, I think what we were just talking about, and I don't want to totally get stuck in friendland, but um, it it goes into you know what is real apology and what is real repair, and the person who has um, done the betraying, it doesn't mean they don't have hurts in the relationship but in a in the first stage they have to really address and be able to take in if they have remorse if they have the desire to repair they have to take in um the pain that they caused and uh, be willing to hear for a long time so the pain that they caused yeah um what kind of language would be useful in this scenario when they are trying to um make amends well i think it's um to be able to hold i don't don't know that i want to script as much as to say that the anyone who's trying to get closer to someone has to be able to hold some calm, compassionate curiosity 
to really want to understand how their partner feels and um, to be able to take that in in a compassionate way. And I think it's, it's not as much about the words. In fact, sometimes it's less words are better. And, you know, there's cheap apologies that um, don't really get to the heart of it. it. It's a repeated stance of being willing to witness in an open-hearted way the pain that I caused you. Do you have Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, do you have any examples of what a cheap apology would look like versus a real apology? Um, I'm sorry you were hurt by it. Yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is a classic. I mean, and people say that about, you know, use that all the time. Uh, yeah, I just got a bit of a like trauma flashback <laughs> from that. Yeah, I mean, we've probably all gotten cheap yeah. apologies. Um, yeah. Make things feel worse, really. Yeah, it makes you feel I, worse. I think it's excusable when we are younger because we wouldn't have known how else to apologize. And it's something that we just hear sometimes and we repeat it. Uh, but I'm sorry, I'm taking the, the, sorry, I'm, yeah, you were saying. No, 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 I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're engaging with it, Maria. I, I, it is resonant for so many people. The, um, you know, I'm sorry if you felt that way. That's, so what qualities would make an apology a good apology? Um, I think the primary factor is that the person who is endeavoring to apologize makes a real effort to understand how their actions affected the person they're apologizing to. Yeah. Um, and, and, could, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, could you give us an example, maybe? You want a good one, not a bad one, right? Yeah, a good one would be nice. <laughs> um, you know, there there are times that I work with. I'm thinking of one where um, I, I worked with the woman and the husband had betrayed her. And I worked with the woman alone and help her deal with her feelings. But I had the sense that what was really impactful for her is that her, um, she was clear that her partner really regretted what had happened, really wanted to make their marriage better than it had been, um, was patient about the process and, um, you know, was willing to continually come back and understand uh, her hurt and make space for it. Yeah, that's great. That's so nice to hear. I personally cannot actually envision that myself because, you know, in the past, you know, there was one point in time I was in a relationship. It was a long-term relationship and things weren't great. And I did... Um, I did propose going to a couples therapist. I thought it would be good for us. 
um, and it was just completely shut down and all these things like why do you think we need to go to a therapist why do you think we need to get people involved um stuff like that came up and do you actually have any advice for how someone could answer those questions if something like that comes up so the the question is one person wants to go to couples therapy and the other doesn't is that the scenario well yeah and you know questions like why do we even need to go to couples therapy? Why do we need to get another person involved? How would the person who wants to bring it to couples therapy, how would that person, how could that person deal with it? Huh. You know, this might be an okay time for me to talk about. There's a kind of couples work that I do um, when one partner wants to work on a marriage and the other partner is leaning out contemplating divorce and these situations not always have to do with fidelity but not infrequently do and it doesn't really work for the person who's motivated to go to couples therapy to drag the other person in mm -hmm. because the truth is even if they go um, but they're leaning out of the marriage and are being compliant with going, they get to say, we tried couples therapy and it didn't work. But the truth is they didn't try couples therapy because they were dragged to couples mm -hmm. therapy. And emotionally, so, mentally, they weren't present. They weren't present. And, and in fact, um, as a couples therapist, it's a setup because do you align with the person who's motivated and then that other person, you know, gets to hold their ambivalence or their negativity about the relationship and not engage in it. And, you know, there is no magic. So essentially this, there's a kind of work that I do in this space called discernment counseling, where it's a protocol where you get to really the, the people come together to the session, but I talk individually to each of them to see if they are willing. And essentially, they're discerning between three paths. Path one is leave the relationship, the status quo, they leave the relationship as it is. Path two is separation or divorce. And path three is take the threat of divorce off the table for six months and engage in couples therapy with a focus on what you can personally take responsibility for to make the relationship better. So That's really, I yeah. try whenever possible to not engage with a couple where one person is um, ambivalent about the relationship or about doing couples therapy because it is in fact counterproductive. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely does make sense. Um, so trust is a crucial element in any romantic relationship. So how can couples work towards rebuilding this trust after infidelity? And what are some signs that trust is being restored in a relationship? You know, it, this uh, gets interesting, especially in this era with um, like smartphones and, and um, you know, 
do I need you to erase contact? Do I need, uh, do I get to now check your phone so that I can have trust? Um, you know, I don't personally have a protocol, but I do think ideally the person who has, if, if they're motivated to want to rebuild trust with someone, then trying to come up with some transparency and um, openness to um, to rebuild the trust. I, I hate, frankly, being put in the position of judging about the ground rules that people want, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but it, it does tell you something. You know, there was a couple I worked with and one spouse who had betrayed was he, the truth was that that person was still ambivalent but the other partner really wanted to repair the marriage and um, asked for the affair person's contact information to be removed from the phone mm -hmm. which seemed to me to be a very reasonable request mm -hmm. And it was ducked and dodged and not done. But, I mean, it tells you something about where the person yeah. is. So, again, I, you know, I come back to, I guess your question is more when, when both people want to rebuild trust. Mm -hmm. It's that attunement to what does the hurt person need. What what can often happen in situations like this is that um, if I can use the term herder and hurty, the, the herter can um, sometimes have like a shelf life of willingness to try to repair mm -hmm. and then either runs out of patience or gets flooded with their own guilt and shame and you know, sort of undoes all the knitted stitches by, and and sometimes the person who was hurt keeps sort of tearing at the wound. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, both people have to have an interest in really repairing the injury in a good way. I think about it like a, a tear in a fabric mm -hmm. and you know, you can knit the stitches back together and, you know, they say with a broken bone, the place that it breaks is stronger than the other parts of the bone. I, I know, and I've seen many couples who've gone through um, infidelity, trust breaches, and it's made them stronger with one another and wow. they've grown from it. I, I, I've absolutely seen that. Um, I've also seen it be a um, an open wound that opens periodically, even if they do stay together. But it's, it's, we talk about trust. I also think there's a kind of, um, there's cheap forgiveness and then there's genuine forgiveness. Uh, yes. Actually, uh, I, I, I did bring a book. I brought a lot of books that I use. And this is one that I, I really, can I show a book? Yes, of course, please. Okay, so this is a book called How, How Can, I, can forgive I Forgive You? Yes, by 
Janice Abrams Spring. And I actually have it marked for, I've shown this to, to my clients. So the first chapter is uh, called, or the first section is called Cheap Forgiveness. And that is, I'm so desperate to stay in a relationship with you that it's like, it's fine, Marie. It doesn't matter. It's all, it's all good. And I sweep it under the rug and we don't deal with it. Yeah, I need to get on reading that book because I'm, I'm too good at sweeping things under the rug. Yeah, that's and... not the recommended. That's the little first. <laughs> but then there's the second section, which is called refusing to forgive. You and mm. I can stay in a relationship, but oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stick it. I'm going to get what I want on a million other things and never let this go. I'll put it back in your face forever. I've, right? I have a personal question now. Yeah. Um, as a therapist, is, well, from, from a therapist's perspective, is it okay to have that phase where you just refuse to forgive? Oh, I mean, if, if we haven't gotten to the really important part, which is that, I mean, you cannot, if, if the other person isn't working with you, then you, you can't, you know, you can do cheap forgiveness or refusing to forgive, but if they're not working with you, you can't have genuine forgiveness. And I, let me true. explain. Mm -hmm. The third part, the third section is called acceptance. If you've hurt me and you don't have remorse or you don't want to work on the relationship, you've moved on, I still have an injury from how you've hurt me and I can do a kind of unburdening of my own pain, which she calls acceptance. I acknowledge how it hurt me. I acknowledge the uh, pain and suffering. I acknowledge that I deserved better than I got. Um, and I acknowledge what happened and I can have some level of healing. I don't have to just keep nursing my grudge for my own health and my own safety um, it, because we don't have a relationship anymore. And sometimes somebody that hurt us is dead and then we can't get an apology, right? Mm -hmm. But the majority of the book, that much of the book, more than half the book is about what she calls genuine forgiveness, which is a relational process where it goes back and forth. And even eventually, eventually, if I'm the one that betrayed and, and hurt you and committed the infidelity, at some point, not today, not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but at some point, it would be important for you to understand what was going on with me. Was I so unhappy with what was going on? Were you not listening to me? Had you shut me out? Were you always at work? Was I lonely? You know, what what caused me yeah, what to stray? Not that it excuses it, mm -hmm. but that it more completely tells the story of how did this um, how did this betrayal happen? How did this yeah. infidelity happen? It gives context to the action, the reason behind the action. Yeah, and in some ways, it, it can make the forgiveness stronger. If you tell me, Fran, you were working every night and I was, uh, I, I kept telling you how lonely I was and 
I get how wrong it was that I did what I did. And I can say, you know what, Maria, I, I wasn't listening. I was too busy making podcasts and trying to be a celebrity <laughs> and I left you alone. And I'm really, I get that. I mean, I still don't feel good about you. Even though we were on a break, you shouldn't have hooked up with Ross. <laughs> so apart from going to couples therapy, if both are willing, and forgiveness, genuine forgiveness and genuine apologies, how else can couples support each other in this healing process? I'm, you know, there is a space for coming back to, um, you know, what are the strong bonding qualities that you do have in a partnership? Because relational repair can be exhausting and going over these things are exhausting. But, you know, if you like to go dancing, if you like to um, cook meals together, whatever the um, strengths that you had before can come back. And, yeah. you know, this is a this is another odd one, but sometimes infidelities open up a couple's sexual relationship eventually in a in a positive way. I, oh. I don't recommend it as a way to you know, I don't give it the good housekeeping seal of approval, but she's not, I'm not saying sure. that if no, your relationship no. is no longer satisfying you sexually, that you should go and cheat. I did and not say that. Come back and it'll be better. That's not what she's saying. It's not what she's saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is that sometimes in the nuclear uh explosion of an infidelity some dead wood of a relationship gets burned and it ignites uh, a new passion i i don't again i don't recommend <laughs> it but i've seen it yeah i have seen it mm -hmm. and i know that that can be the case that is strangely beautiful because I don't necessarily condone it either, but it is beautiful that these um, things kind of just almost solve themselves and makes it better. Well, they don't solve themselves, but, you know, it... It, it comes out like it, it it arises of beautiful phoenix is what I'm trying to say sometimes sometimes uh, it does. we don't we don't always know what's gonna be well the, the phoenix is an interesting metaphor because sometimes there are things that need to be destroyed for some new growth to happen Oh my god, that's beautiful. <laughs> you're, you're easy, Murray. But I think that's what we're saying, right? That I'm easy? No, no, no. no. That that um, sometimes it's not entirely clear that yeah. something that destroys something isn't in service 
of creating something new. Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to say. But don't yeah. try and destroy it to right. find this right this beautiful thing. Um, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I actually was reading something the other day. There was a recent article in The Atlantic um, about crushes and how co how in how um, common they are, even in in committed relationships for people to have crushes mm -hmm. and that it can be, you know, and the crush doesn't doesn't often doesn't need to go to an infidelity, but it, it can um invigorate a sense of desire and desirability and and um enlivening oh that's interesting within the relationship yeah yeah wow that's cool yeah i didn't know that yeah there was a whole a really interesting article about crushes and how common they are and how um how exciting they are for people Amazing. So it's actually healthy to have a crush when you're in a relationship, but not act on it. Can be. Wow. Uh, that's given me some perspective. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for answering our questions, Fran. Now we're moving on to the open mic. This is your chance to talk about anything that you're passionate about, and it doesn't have to be related to the topic. So take it away. The floor is yours. Okay, I told you I was. I wanted to talk to Australian people about um, dogs because I have had um, four Australian Labradoodles, which are that. now here called Cobber Dogs. Oh, Do you, uh, you know where that? did that? Where did they get that name from? Okay, I was hoping you could tell me, but I, I wanted. I'll tell you what I understand. <laughs> so. Probably more than 25 years ago, they started in Australia um, creating what we initially got our dogs 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they were called um, multi-generational Australian Labradoodles, and they mixed both labs and poodles and I think some Cocker Spaniel, and they created um, this concoction of dog that is incredibly relational, incredibly sweet. They've been my therapy dogs and um, they're adorable and they're hypoallergenic coat like the poodles. Mm -hmm. And so then in the United States, um, when we first got the Australian Labradoodles, I mean, they were pretty rare about 17 years ago. But everyone in the United States started mixing everything with poodles. Mm. I don't know if that's happening in Australia. To get so there's everything is a doodle and a poo here. <laughs> there's cockapoos and yeah. um, Bernadoodles, Bernese mm -hmm. Mountain Dogs and Doodles and whatever. So then some of the breeders here decided to call them cobber dogs, which I was told that cobber in New Zealand and Australia means like best friend. I actually had no idea. Um, I also didn't grow up in Australia. I grew up in Singapore, so I might have a lack of knowledge, but I've never actually heard that before. Um, however, I did just look it up. And apparently the Australian cobber dog is a pure breed. 
uh, recognized by some organization called the MGBA and has its own DNA sequence. And uh, yeah, it's actually completely different from a Labradoodle um, because it's pure, it's it's a pure breed. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, I mean, they were all, all, they were all wolves at one point, right? All dogs. Yeah. Are, right. But um, yeah, so anyway, I have my copper dogs or Australian Labradoodles, and I'm very grateful to the Australians that created my wonderful dogs. So that's what I oh, want to Oh, you're talk. welcome on behalf of the Australians from a non-Australian. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us about your four beautiful copper dogs, Fran. I learned a lot about the healing process of infidelity um, in a relationship. And and copper dogs as well, which I never knew were a thing. Yeah. Uh, now so... you know they're wonderful. <laughs> if you're if you're looking for a dog, you should get a copper dog. Uh, unfortunately, and if, if, if your partner's betrayed you, you need a copper dog. <laughs> unfortunately, we'll never betray I, you. I I do have a cat who functions as a dog, and he might not get along with the dog. He might try and eat the dog because he tries to eat everything. But the good news is that if someone tries to cheat on me. He will also be eating that person. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a win-win. Uh, if our listeners want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? Um, I do have a website, which I think I gave to the organization. It should oh, get yes. posted with That's it, right. drfrandavis.com. Yeah, uh, drfrandavis.com. We'll link it in the show notes. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. You've been listening to Veloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Live Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at re.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Marie Stella. Thanks for tuning in.